All right, tonight we continue our series, A Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And uh, last week we looked at 1 Kings 19 where God speaks to Elijah and he doesn't do it through the great fire or through the earthquake or through the wind, but through the whisper. And we talked about last week that when someone speaks in a whisper, you have to get pretty close to hear it. You almost have to lean into a whisper. And maybe the goal of hearing God's voice is not hearing God's voice. Maybe the goal is actually to get close to God. Maybe that's why he chooses sometimes to speak in a still, small voice. You have to lean in and get really intimate with him. Then we looked at 1 Samuel 3 where Samuel's having a difficult time hearing from God. And he gets some really good advice from Eli. Eli says, I want you to pray this prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Seven words, powerful prayer. Anybody pray that prayer this week? Yeah. Anybody hear from God this week? You felt like God just dropped some stuff on your spirit? Isn't that fun? And if he didn't, don't give up, okay? Like it, it takes a little bit of practice and a little bit of quiet. And sometimes I'll just be sitting there and I'll just hear him say, I love you. And sometimes that's enough, and sometimes I'm like, you got anything else? Right? <laughs> Hello, right? But it's just sweet, man. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I think when we pray that, our prayer life turns from a monologue to a dialogue, and it's really where we get to get close to God. I just want you to pause and listen to him, because he's speaking, but are you listening? On December 26, 2004... Many of you may remember this. Some of you were, were quite young, but the third largest earthquake ever recorded by seismograph erupted 19 miles beneath the Indian Ocean. It registered 9.1 on the Richter scale and generated the energy equivalent to 23,000 atomic bombs going off simultaneously. The shock waves produced tsunami waves measuring over 100 feet in height. Okay, so for, for perspective, the, the, the floor to ceiling in this room is about 25 foot, 23 to 25 foot. So imagine a wave that's four times the size of this room. That was traveling 500 miles per hour. The fastest car on the planet is a Hennessy Venom F5, which goes 301 miles an hour top speed. So almost double the speed of the fastest car on the planet. This thing's going 500 miles an hour. It's 100 foot high, and it's 3,000 miles why? The radius was 3,000 miles, which, again, just so you can understand what that means, that's about the width of the United States of America. Portland, Maine, to Seattle, Washington is roughly 3,000 miles. Think about a wave of that magnitude that just swept over the Indian Ocean, and it claimed the lives of 227,898 people. But there was one people group living directly in the path of the tsunami that somehow survived without a single casualty. The Mokan people, I love this, is a, it's an Austronesian ethnic group. They live their entire lives on the open seas from birth to death. They are sea-based nomads. Their boats, called kabangs, are their homes. They teach their children how to, how to swim before they learn how to walk. Um, they can see twice as well underwater as, than we do. Um, they basically have a real intimacy with the ocean. They, they can read waves about the same way that we can read books. And these people, there was, a, there was a, uh, the day that that happened, the great Indian Ocean earthquake. An amateur photographer from Bangkok was filming and, and taking pictures of the Mokan people. And he said all of a sudden there was a moment where the sea began to recede and the Mokan people began to cry. And the birds stopped chirping and the dolphins started swimming further out to sea and they knew something was up. And so the ones that were close to Thailand beached their boats and they 
They hiked to highest elevation, and those that were out to sea went further out to sea to deep ocean where they knew the tsunami crest wouldn't be as, as tough. It would be minimized. And the Mokans survived because they knew how to look, they knew how to listen, and they had a language that nobody else knew. And tonight we're going to talk about the languages of God. We're going to talk about the seven languages in which God speaks to us. Now, I mentioned last week that the first language is Scripture, and I believe it's in a category by itself. For, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, I showed it to you last week. Here it is again. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And, 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 and so when you open up the Bible, you're op- God opens up his mouth and he whispers to you. So this is the best way to hear the voice of God. You'll be reading this, and it's just Hebrews 4.12 says that this book is living and it's active, which for me means it it just comes off the pages. It was written thousands of years ago, but man, it is so applicable and relevant and, and specific to the issues I'm dealing with in the 21st century. And through Scripture, there's so many advantages to Scripture. We connect with God. Um... We conform to his image. We uh, comfort others who are hurting. We confront sin. We communicate the gospel. There's so many advantages to Scripture. It's the greatest resource and the greatest language that we have to hear God speak. And I would encourage everyone, if you're not already, be in this book. And don't just be in this book. Let this book be in you. Hide it in your heart so you don't sin against God. Psalm 119.11. You hear me quoting Scripture all the time. Now, listen, I have the same seminary training that you do. None. Okay, I don't. I never went to Bible school, but you hear me quoting the Word of God because I love the Word of God because it's a lot of fun to read. When I was um, 18, I went to a, a youth camp, like a summer youth camp. And there were probably 2,000 people. It was at Falls Creek in Oklahoma, if you know where that is. There were, there were about 2,000 students that were there and adults, and um, it's packed, packed place. And he, uh, the speaker's name was uh, David Nasser, and he had everybody stand up. And I was 18 at the time. I'd been a follower of Jesus for nine years. I, I came to faith at nine. And so he said, everybody stand up. So we all stood up. And he goes, I want you to think of how many years you've been a Christian. Nine. <laughs> he says, now I want you to think of how many, I'm not going to make you do this, but you can do this in your head and see if you pass the test. He said, I want you to think of how many Bible verses you know by memory. Hmm. Okay, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's one. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Um, Job 3.2, he said. It's not very useful, but it's a verse. Uh, So I'm like going through my Rolex. I got like six. And then he said, if you don't know as many verses in the Bible as years you've been a follower of Jesus, I want you to sit down. And out of 2,000 people, nine people were left standing. And it was at that moment that I said, that's jacked up. Like, as a follower of Christ, I I can't say that I believe this and not know this. And so I I said, I said that day, I'm going to commit this to memory. And so I started studying it, and I, I have different ways that I memorize Scripture, and I can share this with you at a different time. I just would encourage you to, to be in the book, man. Be in the book. This is God's whisper to us. Remember last week I told you the definition of a whisper is when you speak not using your vocal cords but using one's breath. This is the very breath of God, so it's God's whisper to you. Listen to him. He has things to say to you. So Scripture is the first and most important language, but inside of Scripture there are six secondary languages that... Um, 
God has spoken through throughout history, and God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to talk about those six secondary languages tonight. The first language, if you're taking notes, is desires. Desires. I love this out of Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The word give there in Hebrew literally translates as to conceive. So God is literally going to conceive or give birth to new desires within you. I think there's misconception in the church world that if we, if we really submit to the will of God, that he's going to make us do things we don't want to do in places we don't want to do them, right? Like, I don't want to go on the sea and minister to the moke, and I, that's mis- I get seasick, Lord. Like, that's not God's heart. That's not God's way. He's not going to send you somewhere. I don't want to go to Africa. You're going to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. Like, I think we're worried about that. God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, now we got to be careful because there, is, there are sinful desires, there are selfish desires, and those things can creep up. But if you truly delight yourself in the Lord, if you truly seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will give you the desires of your heart because your desires will start to shift. And they'll be his desires, not your desires, that will actually become compass needles pointing you toward God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life that Romans 12 talks about. Um, some of you know this, not all of you know this, but when I was um, little, I mean like 10, 12 years old, I wanted to be a sports center anchor. I knew that's what I was going to do. I was going to be the next Stuart Scott, the next Keith Olbermann, the next Chris Berman. I was going to be the next Dan Patrick. That's my, that was what I was going to do, and nobody was going to tell me otherwise. I was uh, about 12, and I was calling, like broadcasting little league tournaments, like kids that were like a year or two under me, I'm, I'm calling their tournaments, and I'd give them all nicknames. They loved me because I was like, here comes Batman, right? I would, I would, like, give up all these nicknames like, yeah, Batman, right? And I made it fun. I loved it. I got into high school. I started calling high school games. I was on television. I was on radio. I came to the University of Texas. I don't have a degree in ministry. I have a degree in journalism. I wanted to be a sports journalist. That's what I wanted to do. In my senior year in college, uh, God shifted that. And, and it, I was serving in a church. I was delighting myself in the Lord, and he started giving me different desires. And, and I knew that I wanted to go into ministry. And so a few years later, I'm, I, actually that year I started ministry, but it was a few years later before I got called to church ministry. Anyway, long story short, uh, ESPN did something kind of like American Idol. They, they only ran it for one season, but they did kind of a, a contest that the winner would become a new anchor. And we thought it'd be like a recurring program. And I had a lot of friends that knew me that texted me, hey, you should, you should get on that show. You could win that show. You'd be awesome on that show. And I said, I just, I, I, no. Even though it's money, even though it's fame, even as though it's all the things that the world would say are relevant, I, it, it just didn't appeal to me at all. I had a different desire because I delighted myself. And like, again, I'm not, I'm not if, if, if ESPN called me today, I would not take the job. I really wouldn't. I love the job that I have today. It like, God took that from me. It's not like I'm like, oh, I wish I could be. Like, it's not that at all. So you'll just see that God just starts to shift your desires. And yours may not be ministry, but he'll give you the desires of your heart, and he speaks through our desires. The second secondary language is the language of dreams. Dreams. Acts 2.17 says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. When God fills you with this spirit, a byproduct of that supernaturally is dream. They dreams, they come with you. God wants to anoint your right brain imagination. He loves connecting the synapses, the, the, the 86 billion neurons that crisscross the human mind. 
And, and I, I, I like to think of them as God ideas. I would much rather have a God idea than a thousand good ideas. I just, I love getting God ideas. Now, let me just say this. You can dream dreams while you're awake. Those are fun. You can also get God visions or dreams when you're asleep. And all throughout the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, he speaks to people through dreams. Um, let me just say, just for clarity's sake, not every dream is from God, okay? I don't know that I need to say that. But I have had a recurring dream since I was a little boy that I have been tied to a table with boat rope, big thick boat rope, and there are these three bald elves, and they circle the table, and they're sharpening knives and laughing at me. I have that dream about once a year, and uh, that's so weird. That, that, that's not God trying to speak to me. That is me eating a gas station burrito at 11 o'clock, and I need to stop that, right? That's what that means. I need to stop eating junk food. Right before I go to bed. So just understand that. Not every dream is, well, what does that mean, Lord? No, it's not, it's not necessary. But God can and does and will speak through dreams. God speaks through dreams. God speaks through doors. Doors is the third secondary language. One of my most prayed promises is Revelation 3, 7, and 8, which says, What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you open doors that no one can shut. And listen to me, everybody in the room loves open doors. Closed doors, eh, not so much. But it's kind of a package deal, right? And I have a feeling that there'll be a day in my future where I'm more thankful for the closed doors than for the open ones. Um, a lot of you know this part of my story. When I came to Austin, it wasn't come to come serve at Christian Life Austin. It was to, to be a part of a church plant. Through a series of events, we didn't get to plant a church, but we took over a church that was dying, and we kind of assumed that was our church plant, and we tried to bring life to a dying church, and we just couldn't do it, just couldn't do it. And we helped it die well. About a year later, we had to close the doors to the church. We physically closed the doors to the church, and that hurt because I had poured out 70, 80 hours a week into that church trying to get that thing to turn around, and it just wouldn't turn around. I have never prayed more in my life than that year. Uh, it just didn't happen. Those doors closed, and I'm sitting here with my hands in the air going, what am I going to do now? And there were a couple of churches that knew me and knew my work ethic and knew uh, my love for Jesus, and so they asked if I would come on staff with them, and one of those churches was this church. And I honestly, this, is, this has been the best, best three and a half years of my life in ministry by far. I would have never met you I would have we've been, maybe never started Continuum. We would have never, like, I just think about all that God has done in the last three and a half years, and that wouldn't have happened had a door not shut. So God speaks through closed doors, and don't be upset if he closes a door. Just say, God, I, I, I'll, I'll pray that. God, close this door and, like, deadbolt it because I'll be tempted to open it back up, right? I need you to speak through doors, and he does. So just watch that and be thankful for the closed doors because sometimes it opens up a more glorious door towards a more prosperous future for you. The fourth language is the language of people. People. God used a prophet named Nathan to rebuke a king named David. He used an uncle named Mordecai to exhort a queen named Esther. He used a spiritual leader named Paul to encourage Timothy. So God uses people. He loves using people. Numbers eleven twenty nine says this, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. He wants to speak to you through people, and he wants you to speak to people through you. He wants to speak to people through you. He loves using people. Um, it's the language of people. The very first time that I was called to ministry, 
Again, I'm 16, okay, 16, I'm still sports center. That's, that's my direction. And the first time somebody ever spoke ministry over my life, uh, I was on a bus from Colorado back to Texas. We had gone on a ski trip, and my youth pastor had a friend who went to school in Abilene, this little college in Abilene. He was a pastor there, and he invited him to come be our, our ski camp pastor. And so uh, I just connected with this guy, and his name is Matt Chandler. Some of you know Matt now. He's got one of the biggest churches in Dallas-Fort Worth. But I just knew him as this college punk kid that I got to wrestle, and he whooped me, by the way. He's very, very, doesn't look strong. He's, he's wiry. And um, so anyway, we're, well, I'm on the bus, and he comes and sits right beside me on the bus. And this means so much more now knowing who Matt Chandler is. And he said, Reed, I see myself in you at 16. And he said, you're going to go into ministry. And I looked at Matt Chandler, and I said, nope. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm going to be on SportsCenter. <laughs> da-na-na, da-na-na, that's what you're going to see me. And he was the first person that spoke that over my life. And, and over the next few years, more people spoke that over my life. And more people spoke that over my life. And here I am. So I just say that sometimes God speaks through people. So if you have godly people that are speaking godly things over your life, just listen to it. It might be the voice of God himself trying to get your attention. The fifth language is promptings. Promptings. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn to the left or right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So scripture is our map, but the Holy Spirit is our guide, and, and God is ordering your footsteps. Psalm 139, 16 says, uh, all our days were ordained for us and written in his book before one day came to be. He's got every day figured out. He already, like, you're, you still have free will. You know, but he's like, I, already, I, I knew you'd be here tonight. Like, I know, every, I know everything. I've got every day ordained. Acts 17, 26 says that God has ordained the times and places men should live. So you're like, should I get a new apartment? Well, God already knows that, right? So it, it's, just, it's just allowing. Now, this is the toughest one for me, honestly. Because sometimes I feel a prompting, but I don't know if that's me or if that's God. And so I will pray specifically, God, I need you to, if I'm, I'm trying to be in step with you, if I'm out of step, I need you just to move me, right, to just change my direction. I love when God called Abraham to go, and he goes, where do you want me to go? He goes, I'll tell you, right? Well, that's weird, right? Nope, not that way. Okay, all right. Right, so you just, you just got to listen, and I'll just pray, God, if I'm going the wrong way on this thing, you've you got to redirect my path because I... Close some doors, right? Combine some of these languages because I need to make sure that I'm not going the wrong way. But he'll prompt you. Again, I love that verse, Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you going, no, 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 not that way. Are you sure? Because that, that way looks really good. I mean, this is land flowing with milk and honey. And look how beautiful this is. And this land, ugh. yeah, go this way. Okay, Lot, go ahead. You go that way. I'll take this land over here. All right. I just watched that, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When I was um, uh, first getting into ministry, people were confirming it. Scripture was confirming it. Doors were opening up for me. I'd, I'd, I'd never been to seminary. I had no biblical training. I had seven churches that contacted me to ask me to become, or, or to apply at least, for a youth pastor role. That's weird. I'm not even, like, I wasn't pursuing those things. And I kept saying to those churches, thanks for the invitation. That's not God's will for my life. And by the seven, seven churches, that's weird. That, that's still weird to me. I said, maybe I'm missing God's will for my life. Doors and people. So 
I said, the next church that asks me to apply, I will apply. And it was my home church in Snyder, Texas. So I applied. And there were, I think, 27 applicants, and 26 of them had way more training than me. And uh, so I thought, well, let's see what happens. So they called me, and they said, we want to call you as our youth pastor. So I came down on a Wednesday, and I, I preached to the youth, and it was fun. And then on Sunday, the way it works, at least in a Baptist setting, is, is um, you preach, or you say a little message, and then everybody in the church votes for you. And then if you get enough votes, you're in, right? Uh, you still have to accept that calling. Um, so that was on Sunday. On Saturday, I get a phone call from my, ch- my, my church in Austin, the church I'd been attending. Their youth pastor had left and started a church of his own. And so here I am at this church, and, and, um, and they said, we've seen you kill it with the youth group. We would love for you to be our new youth pastor. So here I have a church that, that is amazing, 125 youth. The church in Snyder had about 12 uh, this church, I could sustain something. That church, I could start something. My family is in Snyder, but I was currently living here. Like, there were a lot of pros and cons with both. And I remember my wife and I weren't married, but we were sitting on my guest bed of my, my mother's home, and we're like, like, they're calling us. And I said, I'm, I'm actually in Snyder in view of a call for another church. And they said, well, please let us know what you decide. We're really interested in having you be our youth pastor. And so I'm wrestling with this. Again, doors, people. I'm like, ah, promptings. And so we prayed about it, getting no peace. And so um, anyway, Sunday comes, I give my little spiel, and they said, we're going to vote now. And so the pastor took me back to his little office, and we're in the corner. And I'm literally, like, nervous about it because I'm like, they're expecting an answer from me, and I don't have a peace about it. I don't know if I'm supposed to go back to Austin, to the church that I'm at, or move to Snyder and come back to my home church and start something here. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And so I'm praying, and I'm praying, and my wife was with me, and I will never forget this prayer. I said, Lord, I just don't want to make the wrong move, right? Got the, I'm not hearing that voice behind me saying anyway to walk. And so I don't know what you want me to do. And I said, I just want to know with 100% certainty. I just want to know. I want 100% conviction. I don't want 99%. I want 100% conviction in my heart that this is where I'm supposed to be here. If I'm supposed to stay in Austin, I just want, to, I just want you to tell me. And that time, my pastor opened the door. And he goes, this has never happened before. And I said, what? And he goes, well, they just voted, and it was unanimous, 100%. And I just prayed, God, give me 100% conviction. And then he said the words 100%. I'm like, works for me, right? And I was like, I'm in, I'm in. And so I accepted that job. I was there seven and a half years, and it was awesome. But I just, it was a prompting, right? It was just like, this is the way. Walk in it, walk in it, all right? Finally, the sixth secondary language is the language of pain. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. You can ignore the whole Bible, but you cannot ignore pain. And I don't like pain. I know you don't either. And and there's going to be a day that is coming that there is no more death and no no more crying and no more mourning and no more pain. The Bible talks about that in Revelation 20. But until that day, pain is, is something we should listen to. Pain is a great marriage counselor. It is a great life coach. It is a professor of theology. Pain teaches us some of the toughest but most important lessons in life. I made a lot of mistakes leading that first church, that church plant that we moved here. And um, if I had not felt authentic pain when we had to close its doors, I might not have learned the lessons that I learned. Let's recap. Here, here are the, the seven languages if you missed one. God speaks through scripture, desires, dreams, 
doors, people, promptings, and pain. And sometimes, oftentimes, God will use a combination of those things to speak to you to really get your attention. In fact, I'll pray that way. God, I feel like you're leading me this way. I feel like this is the prompting. I need you to open a door over here. Maybe have somebody confirm that to me. I, maybe have a dream about it. That'd be great. Like, just, <laughs> I need you to confirm these things. I get this desire, but I, you know, help me learn from this painful experience. Like, I want, I want to step in, in wisdom with you. Six times in the Gospels and eight times in the book of Revelation, 14 total times, Jesus uses a phrase that's very relevant today. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And I believe Jesus is talking about not just our physical ears, but he's talking about, again, not, not the audible voice of God and our human range of hearing, but he's talking about these languages. I really want to speak to you. I really want to say something to you, but you got to listen to me in these different ways. Studies have found that different countries hear differently. Isn't that interesting? That French people, the French ear hears best between 1,000 and 2,000 hertz. The British bandwidth is a little bit larger. They listen between uh, 2,000 and 12,000 hertz. The American ear hears best between 750 and 3,000 hertz. In other words, there's an American ear, there's a French ear, and there's a British ear. May I say there's probably a Pentecostal ear, a Baptist ear, and a Catholic ear. There's probably a Republican ear and a Democratic ear. I'm not trying to get into politics, but I can see in our country, in our current state, that the same facts can be dropped, and those two ears can hear the same thing and take those polar opposite directions. I would argue that there's a male ear and a female ear. My wife would argue that one of those works and one of those doesn't. Our hearing, our ears are affected by different filters, by the filters of our theology, of our upbringing, of our values, of our personality, of our history, of all of those things. And that stuff makes it very difficult to hear the still, small voice of God. Not only that, but then you've got this white noise. And white noise, by definition, is, is every frequency. When you have every frequency, you can't hear any frequency, especially God's voice. And so you have all of this stuff, and I, I truly believe that, that chronic noise is one of the greatest impediments to our spiritual growth. We live in a noisy culture. I, I, I may just have met you tonight. I may not even know you, but I know this about you. You are too busy, and your life is too loud. Me too. And again, I think that's one of the greatest hindrances to us moving forward in this great thing that we call the gospel, because... We can't hear anything but all the noise around us. John Donne, who is an English poet and clergyman, said, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To fully appreciate what Jesus said, I think a little ear anatomy might help. This is very interesting to me. I love this. Okay, When sound waves hit your ear, they travel through a labyrinth that has been described as a maniacal miniature golf course. The outer ear functions like a funnel that catches sound. And then it travels through the ear canal and hits the eardrum, and those vibrations bump into three of the tiniest bones in the human body, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. From there, those vibrations spiral through a snail-shaped tube called the cochlea that contains thousands of microscopic hair cells that amplify sound along the way. From there, the eighth cranial nerve transmits impulses almost like Morse code to the auditory cortex, and that is where pitch and volume and tone and distance and direction and meaning are translated into actionable information. Can I just say for a minute that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Isn't that awesome? Like, you, you, yeah, you can clap for that. You're a miracle. Like, that's all happening right here. I'm just sticking a Q-tip in there, right? That's crazy. 
One of the most mysterious capabilities of the human ear is the ability to tune out certain sounds while tuning others in. You ever thought about that? And the reason is because we actually hear things twice. Audiologically, there is a short time delay between sound waves hitting your outer ear and then actually reaching your inner ear. So I go back to what Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And I think about how many times we may hear something that he says with the outer ear only, but it never reaches the inner ear. So it goes in one ear and out the other ear. And God's, I think that part of the whoever has ears, let them hear. He's saying, it's got to hit the inner ear. I'm speaking to you. I'm giving you this desire. I'm trying to show you this beautiful dream. I'm opening a door wide open, double doors for you. That person, that's me speaking to you. That prompting, that's me too. Are you listening to the pain? God's speaking, but so often it's just the outer ear that hears him, and we need to listen with the inner ear too. But if you're anything like me, it's usually the critical remarks that hit the inner ear, right? It's the condemnation. It's the, it's the um, conformity. And those, those, those voices echo, don't they? It's criticism. And we've got to learn to tune those things out so we can tune in the voice of God. I remember when I was little, I don't remember much about my dad. I was 12 when he passed, but I do remember he coached my t-ball team. And I, he had a big voice, a loud voice. It made me, I didn't like him in church because he would sing real loud and he would embarrass me because people would turn around and it was a beautiful voice, it really was. But people would turn around to hear my dad's big, boisterous voice and I'd go, oh, I just sheepish, right? Like, stop singing, right? He loved to worship the Lord. But I remember he, he had that loud voice in, in baseball too and there'd be a crowd full of stands. We did pretty good uh, one year in, in baseball and we went pretty far, and so the tournaments got larger and larger with people and attendees and fans. And so it was a lot of people, but I could always pick out the, the sound of my father. And he would give me encouraging advice. I want you to pick out the sound of your father. I want you to hear him above all the other voices in the room. You have that capability. You would just, it would just drop on you. You'd go, oh, I hear you, Lord. For the past 30 years, an acoustic ecologist named Gordon Hempton has compiled what he calls the list of the last great quiet places. It consists of places with at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted quiet during daylight hours. 15 minutes of uninterrupted quiet during daylight hours. And at last count, there were only 12 quiet places left in the United States of America. Isn't that crazy? And we wonder why our souls are in disrest, right? Our souls suffer. Hempton says, quiet is the think tank of the soul. Simply put, I think God speaks loudest. When we're quietest, there's a place in Trappist, Kentucky. I've said I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I've said it for years. I'm going to go. It is an abbey. Um, I think it's monks.org is the website. And, and, and it's a completely quiet sanctuary. Nobody can, nobody can say anything. And so you go and you stay and you actually eat dinner with other people. I had a buddy that went and he said it was actually kind of nice because I'm eating dinner and there's somebody across from me and I didn't feel like I had this weird, like, I need to make conversation with you because you can't talk. <laughs> you can't, like, it's awesome. And he said, I was outside, I was spending time with the Lord. This blows my mind, but this is what he told me. He said it was so quiet. I was watching ants and I could hear them. I want to hear an ant. So I'm going to go. Who wants to go to Trappist with me? Let's just get away and be quiet for a little while. That sounds fun. 
Um, one of the most played pieces of classical music is Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5 in C minor. And uh, you recognize it. Here's a clip. It's immediately recognizable because of that four-note motif. Dun-dun-dun-dun, right? That iconic opening. But did you know that the sheet music... The sheet music actually begins with an eighth rest. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting? Like, you know that from the opening. Dun, 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 dun. But it begins on the sheet music with an eighth rest. Now, I don't know why Beethoven did it, but I have an idea. I think he did it as a sonic buffer. Because if you've ever been to a symphony, if you've never been to, to see an orchestra play, uh, there's just a lot of noise in the beginning. There's the murmuring of people. There's the rustling of programs. There's somebody that's always coming in late. <clears throat> and uh, they're like, you usually want to sit right in the middle. Excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me. Right? And, and, and there's just noise. And so it's almost like Beethoven's like, wait, 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 before we begin, just a little break. Let's stop and listen. And we probably need more eighth rests in our lives, don't we? I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's, it's laying this phone thing down. I feel like social media has become this culture's white noise. And it's just, it's just plugging in every single frequency so you lose the frequency of God. We check it every morning. We check it every night. And we're deafening ourselves to the voice of God. And listen, I just want to take a minute here. I'm not going to get on the phone kick, I promise. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. This is something I struggle with too. But we just got to learn to navigate this. I feel like that we got thrown these here. Have fun. And then we were never taught how to handle this and put boundaries around these things. And it's a problem. Now, I'm not saying like if we, after we get done, we're all going to Chipotle. All right, party planning team, come on. We're going to Chipotle over here on Brody in Sunset Valley. All, we want you to come. You got to pay for your own meal, but we want you to come hang out with us. Now, if somebody's on their phone at Chipotle, they'll go, Center! You can't do that, okay? But listen, it's a problem. Here's the real reason why I'm concerned with cell phones and why I brought this up. Because endless streams of information can be tapped, to, tapped into at any moment. It has access to you in every moment. And because the internet can be accessed anywhere, accessed anywhere, it's invaded everywhere. It's, in, it's invaded every moment of your life. And um, it's, it's just a problem. We're on our phones. 68% of young adults can't go more than an hour without checking their phone. 75% of adults, young adults, check it while they're in bed. So the first thing that you see and the last thing you, you, you see before you go to bed and when you wake up is, is this thing. And I, I just think it's a problem. The average American spends seven and a half hours in front of a screen. That's a lot. We're only awake 16 hours. Right? Half of that time, we're in front of a screen. Ooh, right? That, that can be a problem. Um, the average gamer in America is, is 31, which seems really old to me. But the gaming community uh, includes... Anybody that has one of these and plays phone games, right? I have seen grandmothers uh, disregard and ignore their grandchildren because of Candy Crush. I've seen it happen. So we're just in this all the time. And listen, I'm not, I'm not against you having access to the World Wide Web. I'm just against the World Wide Web always having access to you. And so maybe you just put some boundaries on this. Uh, maybe you just, you just figure out. And, and listen, the, the biggest concern for me is not the decreased social skills that we see in young adults, which that's true. It's not that we have become um, more flaky in our culture, also true. The thing for me is 
um, the decreased time of reflection that we have as a culture. Think about it. Okay, so I know this is going to blow your mind, but in the 90s, <laughs> before we had iPhones and Internet, and you pulled up to a stoplight, guess what you had? Nothing. You didn't, when you were on the toilet, you couldn't pull this bad boy out. You just were there with your thoughts. And when you laid down at night, it was you and God. And I think about how many millions and billions of prayers have been lost. Not because we don't love God. It's just because we found something more interesting to do in that moment. And so just put some batteries on your phone and say, you know what? I'm not going to look at this the last 30 minutes of the day. And when I wake up, before I turn on my phone, I'm going to turn into his word. Turn some pages of scripture. I want this to speak to me. How many times have we missed God speaking to us? Because we'd rather see what Tony ate for dinner last night. I don't know who Tony is. I'm not saying you're selling yourself on. I'm just saying put some boundaries in your life. As the praise team comes, let me just close with this. Whatever you listen to most, the volume's getting turned up. So somehow find a way to put an eighth rest to begin your day. And I promise your day will become more of a symphony. If you can put an eighth rest at the end of your day, you will sleep better, I promise. Find a way to interject some quiet. God's speaking to you. But to hear him, we've got to listen to these seven languages. And again, like any language we talked about last week, sometimes it takes a while to learn the language. You don't learn Spanish overnight. There's programs. There's Rosetta. So you, have to, you have to learn it. You have to learn some of these languages. You go, oh, oh I, I hear you prompting me, Lord. I got it. And also, you have to cut out some of the white noise. And you will hear him speak. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you are speaking. We know that you are speaking. We know that you are speaking, the omnipotent, all-powerful God of all creation, which is crazy, is speaking to us individually. The people in this room, they are hearing your voice. Maybe they're not hearing it, but you're speaking to them. Maybe it's just hitting that outer ear, never really reaching the inner ear, but you're saying things. You're prompting them. You're opening doors for them. You're giving them desires. May we listen to you. And God, as we did last week, I'm just going to take a moment for you to speak now. I think it'd be crazy to talk about listening to the voice of God and not give you a chance to speak tonight. So in this moment, we ask you to speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Just say whatever you want to say to everybody in the room, that we just be quiet and hear that still, small voice. God, that we be patient. It takes time to learn a new language, and some of these languages are very foreign to us. We may not understand how to hear you through a prompting or to know when it's you opening a door and not our own selfish, sinful desires. To know when that person says that to us, to be able to discern if that's truly you or if that's them. God, we want to hear you. And again, I, I would much rather hear from you 
than ever speak to you. Of the, of the prayer elements, talking to you and listening to you, by far the most important is listening to you. Because one word from you is way more powerful than a, than a thousand words to you. I just want you to speak to us, Lord. May we stop throughout the day and, and really seek quiet in a crazy, loud world. That we would take that moment, those moments of reflection that we would pause in the morning or in the evening and, and truly lay down everything, every device, every television, every, and just listen to you. Have that moment of reflection, talk to you, and allow you time to respond. And that, God, we begin to hear you, and it would be abundantly clear. That, God, you would combine some of these languages, and especially when we're not getting you, we're not hearing you accurately, that you would combine some of these languages and we would know that we would know that we would know that it is God Almighty. You speak oftentimes in such quiet whispers because you want us to be close. It's not about hearing your voice. It's about knowing your heart. So, God, that we would lean into you and know your heart, and that our heart would beat for what your heart beats for, and that our desires would become your desires. And that's where this whole beautiful thing becomes you working in and through us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we praise you tonight. We thank you for the whisper.